0: Dark night of the podcast listeners. This is Troy coming at you from what will be the final recording session here in good old Davenport, Iowa. When you hear our next show, I will be coming from you from fabulous Las Vegas, Nevada. I'm excited. However, that just means that next week there will not be a show, a new a new show released. Instead, we'll probably pull something from our Patreon and give you a little peek of what we've been up to over on the Patreon page. In fact, we just did a a really fun Pride Month themed top three, our top three queer characters in horror. So check that out, patreon.com slash dark night of the podcast. I'm Roger. I'm really excited to get to Las Vegas because you know what? Those of you who listen to um, our Vegas-themed episodes on Leprechaun 3 and Hostel 3 know that one of my big pet peeves in Vegas is children.
1: (laughs) That really was the perfect segue. Oh, my God. (laughs) <laughs> it's true oh my god guys when we were in vegas whatever there would be children it, both he and teresa i'd hear them calling at each other in the background like oh this is not a place for children i always say i always say it, vegas this is not a place for children i was like these two cackling hens telling it how it is i love it <laughs> yeah, it's so true it. fuck it, it. Yeah, i don't like children either you know what it's true <laughs> But that
0: yeah, so that's a good segue into our uh into the episode that we're discussing today, which is the 1980 God, I want to say this is a, a cult classic of sorts. The Children, also known as The Children of Ravensback. A film I'd never seen, Troy. A film you've never seen. Oh my god. A goodness. film
1: i had never seen and a film I feel like I certainly should have seen long before this specific review shame on me
0: i i honestly cannot believe you haven't seen this film
1: uh, i mean if i were to describe what's a, what's a film that roger connors is going to enjoy this checks off a lot of the boxes i'm going to say it right now slow long drawn out building suspenseful sequences that's all this movie really consists of but god it serves them up In Bounty, I mean, there are so many well-handled, long, slow, drawn-out, suspenseful sequences in this movie. Um, And I kept thinking I was going to get annoyed with it every time they did it. But every time they did it, I was like, God, the people behind this, at least they know how to do this. They really know how to do this. Like, there is actually some capable talent working both in front of the camera and behind it.
0: Yeah, it's directed by one Max Manauswick, I believe is how you say it. I, I'm looking at his filmography, and he really hasn't done much that would be known uh, to to casual horror fans. I think this is definitely the the standout film from his catalog, and you know, coincidentally enough, it's also uh, and I'm sure you probably have notes regarding this whole this, the score of the film is. Very much Friday the 13th with a few tweaks. It's the same. I mean, it's it's um, Harry Manfredini d- scored this the same year he scored Friday the 13th. Oh. So, yeah. So you can definitely tell. Very similar. There's, there's a few tweaks here or there on the score. But, I mean, come on, the score. It, 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 when it's at its peak, it has definitely given off some Friday the 13th vibes for sure.
1: Oh, he's definitely, I think he he was like, I'm going to take the same shtick, and I'm going to apply it to two movies and one of these is going to stick (laughs) and the other one will just kind of fade away into obscurity. And it's, it's sad. It's unfortunate. It seems like The Children is a title that, I mean, I've definitely heard it mentioned before, but after watching this, I certainly don't think it gets its proper dues.
0: Well, you know, it's a creepy little film. I, I saw this, gosh, I don't even know, years ago when I was a when I was a little, little kid, and I just remember it, it scaring the shit out of me. I mean, there's no image I think more terrifying than these black nailed children walking towards you with their arms outstretched saying, Mommy, Daddy. And then and then the sound they make when you finally kill them. I mean, come on, this is the thing of nightmares, but it's, it also has this very, I think I'm one, I want to say unintended humor that actually, even though I don't think that the, the filmmakers were going for necessarily straight out, like comedy with this, there very much are many scenes that are very WTF comedic tone wise, but it, doesn't affect the film negatively at all. It actually gives it quite the the charm, I think.
1: Oh, I'd have to agree um, 100% on that note.
0: Everything is played so seriously. In that regard, it really reminds me of Bloodhook, you know, a, a, a script that I think was purposely injected with lots of humor, but the filmmakers decided to play it straight. And I think that that's very much the case here as well
1: but i dare say that it works far better um in with this film in my opinion. Um, oh
0: well, this film isn't 2 hours long.
1: <laughs> well, f- first of all, yes. But second of all, i think something to, it's something to do with the characters um within this cast, uh, this kind of kooky crew if you will. Um even like the small supporting characters, everyone's kind of like magnetic in their own way. They're all like really Endearing. There's a lot of likability factor here amongst this cast, which when you first start watching it, I don't think you would suspect that. Um, but as the movie continues, as it goes on, um, it, there's just this charm about it. There's this charm about the way that these people interact with each other. I think what I like most is that, you know, quality, uh, overall talent of people's skills of acting aside and for the most part, there's some capable performances in this film. I'm not really going to say people are bad. They're big, but they're not bad. But it, it's such a united kind of Everyone's on the same level, I feel. Everybody in this cast is working alongside each other. We've seen casts where people seem so out of place with one another, and it works so well here because this is supposed to be a small community. It's a small town, and everybody knows each other's name, and everybody knows each other's business, and everyone kind of has like a, an opinion about somebody else. And it translates so nicely for this specific story in this specific film. It, the cast really just meshes really well. Like I said, even down to the smallest players and the weakest links, I still enjoyed watching these people on camera. There's so much charisma coming from this cast. Yeah,
0: I I, I think that this much like, you know, much like Bloodhook, I think there is a definitely a, a wide spectrum of characters in this film that are that are engaging, that are interesting, that are and oftentimes, you know, f- uh, funny whether that's intentionally or unintentionally, there's a lot of choices that the character, the actors playing the characters, make that are quite questionable, but also bring a a certain layer of like mystery to the film and to the character. Like I found myself really wanting to know more about certain t- characters, and, and we're gonna get there. So, is there anything you wanna you want to shout out before we we dive right into the children?
1: Just you. Everything about you. I want to shout that out loud at the top of the rooftops. Scream it out loud. We love Troy, and we want to wish him a nice, safe move to Las fucking Vegas, Nevada. Because, motherfucker, you know... I'm gonna be coming to visit you a lot more often.
0: <laughs> I really hope people are gonna come visit me here in Just randomly. I mean nobody nobody came to visit me in Davenport, Iowa. So I'm like, well, if, if I can't get people to visit me in fucking Las Vegas, then it really must be me. Like I can understand not wanting to come from like Cleveland or Houston or New York City or LA to, to Davenport, Iowa to visit me. But bitches better be in Vegas or we're gonna have a we're gonna have a fucking problem. Uh, we're I'm on
1: my way. I am on. on Well, we're going to
0: see each other here in what, almost six weeks now. We'll be spending a glorious weekend together at the Houston Horror Film Festival, folks. Uh, We're telling you, we just released the film selections. uh, And let me tell you, that was a grueling, grueling process to do that, to narrow almost or narrow over 300, uh, 300 short and feature film submissions down to just 80 was a, a monumental task. I have to thank the judges that, that watched the films assigned to them and and rated them and it really helped us select the the films because I think what ended up happening is we have 80 short and feature short films and feature films that are screening throughout the entire weekend that I really think are gonna blow the socks off of our uh, audience, our, our attendees, and really let them know that horror is definitely very much alive and well. And in great hands with many, many, many talented young indie filmmakers out there doing shit. So I'm super, super excited for our lineup. Cannot wait. Uh, So I just wanted to shout that out. Again, we want to shout out our Patreon. Patreon.com slash Dark Night of the Podcast. There's some lots of good stuff up there. I wish more people would actually check it out because there's so much good stuff. Um, But yeah. So that's that's my little spiel. I can't wait to 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 spend the entire weekend with you and, and you know, doing what we're going to be doing that weekend, which is meeting fans, promoting the podcast, um, moderating some really awesome panels that are going to be taking place that weekend. We're super excited.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's all I it's all I look forward to this summer. Honestly, it's like the one big thing I'm counting down to especially since I just lost my fucking dog and I just had need to give him a minute. I need you all to know Dream Spinner did pass on. And this specific episode is in his honor because it deserves to be because he was the best fucking dog ever. A moment for Dream Spinner, my sweet child. But I do, I look forward to this um, this show because it's going to be me letting my fucking hair down for four days, let me tell you. Uh, as soon as I get into Houston, I am ready the party. Ugh. Me and you, taking on Houston together. Absolutely. Well, yeah, I have a
0: moment of silence for Spinner, who had the best fashion sense of any dog I've ever encountered
1: in my entire life. Oh, my God. He had, You know he had almost 65 pieces of clothing? Oh, I yes, – yeah, Yeah. I, I totally believe He was it. once a champion. He was a first-place champion show dog, and he took it to the very end. Mm-hmm.
0: Well, you know, he would maybe get along with that Doberman Pinscher that was in this film for about five seconds. <laughs> he
1: was a Min Pin, so he's a miniature version of that. Dog, exactly, of that exactly. Oh oh, what a yeah, perfect exactly. segue. <laughs> <laughs> that dog that oh. dies horribly yesterday. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, yeah. but this movie, this movie, Troy.
0: Okay, so first things first. When when I started to watch it and that the trauma – The Troma logo and music came up. I'm like, oh shit, I wonder what Roger is thinking when he sees the
1: Troma release. (laughs) Because I know know
0: how you feel about Troma films.
1: You know, when I see Troma, I automatically jump to a certain kind of conclusion. That's going to be like, in Tromaville. And uh, when I saw this fucking nuclear power plant, I was like, this is going to be in Tromaville. I know it. Um, But it never went there. And, you know, for the betterment for this film, because... You're right. This film does have a strange sense of humor about it, but for the most part, the fact that it does lean into the more dramatic moments, um, where they're really they're trying to build upon a fear that does exist, um, they do succeed in actually having some scary sequences. One area where I think Bloodhook never really managed to get off the ground was the horror element. And while this film is clunky at times, and while the makeup effects are uh, very dated, you know overall it still managed to, to pull me in at times. There's still moments where I found myself kind of almost on the edge of my seat being like, oh my God, how is this movie managing to draw me into the moment? And so I'm, I'm really impressed by the overall scale of just craftsmanship on a smaller budget that this film was able to uh, put on display because somehow, some way, I'd say it succeeds way more than it fails. Oh yeah. Oh no, this film is a... a, a
0: very an entertaining watch. Now I do have a few issues with it that we'll get to, but right away you get that glorious horn music that just pounds into your ears as the camera pans on two men leaving this giant, but what it ends up being, it's it's a, it's a nuclear facility, right? It's a nuclear power plant. And they are there because they got an alert that the pressure at this nuclear power plant dropped tremendously, but they can't find any sort of leak or any, any, they're not, they're obviously not looking very hard because it was pretty, (laughs) it's pretty obvious where the leak, I mean, you, you see green liquid squirting from a pipe, but these two guys are like, oh, we can't find the source of the leak. Let's go get a beer. And they literally just leave as we get a, we get an ominous shot, push and shot of this pipe leaking green ooze into the ground.
1: (laughs) But even this, this sequence, Troy, like, again, even though this is obviously clearly a low budget fare, um, I appreciated pretty much everything about the the beginning of this film. Um, First of all, you get that really nice kind of um, pan down from that bright blue sky on the nuclear plant, and it's this really, like, wide shot of these guys working on it. And it just feels like it has this really broad scope and and grandness to it uh, that I wouldn't anticipate from a film of this scale. Um, And even, like, the acting between these two guys who never come back into play, even these characters... Um, seem to have a, a chemistry with one another and do really well with their dialogue. And I remember thinking like, wow, I'm really impressed with this opening sequence somehow. Even that managed to like start me off on a good note. And then those nice like push-in shots of moving throughout like the, <laughs> the innards of the nuclear power plant, like as it like moves all around and really goes deep into the system to show that yes, they missed it. But at least this was like, it seems to be buried very deep into like the pipes and system of the nuclear power plant. It's this like really long sequence that kind of takes its time and sets the pace for the film because there's a lot of sequences that take their time. And I I just thought it was like a really strangely like intriguing intro. And
0: I do like yeah, the guys, the two guys seem very much like blue collar. You you totally buy that these two are blue collar. They're 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 kind of tired of their job's bullshit because the one wants to go back to the um to the headquarters. And I was like, Nope, no way. It's quit time. If we go back there, they're just going to send us right back out here and we're going to have to be stuck all night doing jobs. So they don't pay overtime. So we're going to get a beer, uh, very natural, very realistic. Yeah. So they just get in their car and pull away as the, um, opening credits start to roll. And I, I do like, I have to give special shout out to the title card. When the, when the title, the children actually pops up on screen in the red, red lettering, that's all like It almost looks like veins, but then the R in the word children has like this claw reaching down. It's really kind of cool. I mean, it looks, I mean, it's obviously not the greatest in terms of font design, but I do like that the little hand is like reaching down off of the R. It just gives it a really creepy, uh, appropriate opening to the film. I don't know if you noticed that or not. I I thought it was really cool.
1: You know, man, I I think beginning to end this whole opening sequence, one thing it does surprisingly well, in my opinion, is it establishes a sense of mounting dread, similar in a way that other films that. I've come after it. It makes me think of t- uh, titles like, strangely, like House of the Devil does a lot of these slow house interior sequences and everything. And it does it for a far more serious approach uh, with a glossier budget behind it. But you can't tell me there's not influence from the style of filmmaking uh, and these kind of just slow moments of mounting dread. You can't tell me that we don't see influence from this film in titles to come afterwards.
0: Oh, absolutely. I, I, I mean, I, th- I feel like this film is pretty pretty well known i think i think if you talk talk to people and you're like oh it's the movie with the kids with the black fingernails that when they hug you 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 know you b- basically melt i think i think many many people are familiar with this type of film i know though that i know you know i kind of used to get it as far as title wise i used to get it confused with uh, the village of the damned but it's yeah this is definitely a it's its own thing quite 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 its own thing. It carves out its own identity in, in the horror niche, particularly when you look at what was coming out. What was really popular in the 80s? I mean, that's the, that was the start of the slasher boom. And this is not a, a slasher film by any means. I mean, there are definitely moments that feel very slasher-esque, but it's not a slasher film. Uh, so it definitely can. It was a unique offering to come out in 1980 when we were just bombarded with Halloween, Friday the 13th, you know, you know, all the, all the, the other horror endeavors, slasher endeavors that came out in the 80, 81. Right? And then you have this film that did something a little different, which I mean, again, I think it makes it kind of stand out for the era. After the opening, we get a nice shot of a school bus just maneuvering its way down the, the windy roads of small town. What is Raven's back. I th- believe it's Massachusetts, is where this is supposed to take place. And, you know, inside the bus are a variety of school children with questionable haircuts. <laughs> and I found it interesting that they're, they're, you know, they're little kids and they're singing the bo- uh, two bottles of beer on the wall, two bottles of beer take one down pass it. and it's a quite an extended scene we, we get to hear them go through pretty much the whole damn song
1: It's eerie to me though because I troy one thing I like about this movie and this movie does this rather often is they set their audio against a rather bleak stark kind of silent background it's just their voices it's not like it's against music. it's just them chanting and it's 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 very unsettling it's stark. And it's just a, an unsettling intro sequence to introduce the situation because you don't really get like you don't get them leaving the school or anything like the, the first time you see the kids, they are in the bus, they are in route and they are driving right into the dilemma that's about to unfold. And, and that's it. That's really all you get. You do get a few kids dropped off to start. But other than that, I mean, you're kind of launched right into it.
0: Yeah, the lucky ones get dropped off. The other ones are pretty much stuck on the bus. And we do get we do get to kind of know. Uh, What I do also like is we kind of get to know the kids a little bit through their parents. Like we got, it's, it's not just these random kids. It's once the, once this group of kids that are on the bus kind of get to uh, turn into what they end up turning into, it's not like there's just random ones popping up here and there that we haven't seen. Like you would see in like a Dawn of the Dead or Night of the Living Dead with just random zombies. It's kind of the same core group of, of, uh, Villain, villainous children, and we get to know them through their parents, which I also thought was a interesting uh, little interesting touch, you know, in terms of character development. Uh, As the bus is going down the road, I do like that there's a little beetle that passes the school bus and honks the horn. And it's it's and we end up it ends up we find out who it is later on in the film. But she's waving all excitedly at the children, even though she's passing a school bus that you're not supposed to do. And, you know, then the kids shift their focus to singing the song about the bus driver being the greatest bus driver of all. And I thought, oh, these kids are so sweet. You know the bus driver has a big old smile on his face cuz these kids are like he's the greatest bus driver of all time before they before the bus ploughs into this yellow cloud of just yellow cloud of smoke that's overtaken the highway and the bus goes through it and the bus driver has this like oh shit look on his face before the bus enters this fog this this cloud never to be seen again well, it's seen again, but you don't see it like come out the other end or anything like that. What happens when we see it again, it's, it's it's kind of a different circumstance.
1: I like that in this moment, Troy, that you see the the beetle drive past and go specifically you see you do see the beetle drive through the smoke. And it's a it's it's minor overall, but when the movie fully concludes, the very end of the movie, that's actually a very Uh, noteworthy little moment. It's one thing that if you should catch it now, because it does associate to something later uh, after learning what happens with the children.
0: Uh, We cut to the little, the town diner and we have our first real prominent character uh, of the film is Sheriff Billy, who is, you know, an older gentleman, kind of a, an interesting choice for a main protagonist of a film during this Time period, like I said, because this was the era of the slasher and the final girl. And and instead, this film gives us a middle-aged sheriff. Even though we do get this vixen, this redheaded vixen, Sally, who is flirting with them and wants to know when he's going to take her for a ride.
1: Oh, she's got her blouse zipped all the way down. She's got scarlet red lipstick on and she's charming him and putting it all out there on the counter of Colin's diner and he is smitten and he agrees to take her on a a date. And I specifically mention this because this is while minor, this even comes back into play. And uh, it's little details like this that uh, you get throughout the course of the film. Uh, This does come back into play at one point and it actually like, Got a reaction from me when I saw this tiny, brief little moment acknowledging her. Because other than this, she doesn't do anything. She's not really there. But even she is charismatic on camera. Even she has a presence for the, the, the brief time she's there.
0: That red mane of hers. And yeah, she is laying it on thick. She, she's like, well, I get off at 10 o'clock. And he's like, okay, 10 o'clock it is. And, and he leaves and she doesn't even charge him. She's like, just don't be late. And then we we cut to another police officer, Deputy Harry, who is standing around most of the movie flirting with Susie, who I think looks to be about what? 17, and this is a, a full-grown man, deputy. Oh, yeah, but these are rural people, true. But, but, but you know what? I can see why Susie is smitten with Harry. That's all I'm going to say.
1: He's not the best actor, but he sure is handsome. And he sure likes that she's vending her fruits and vegetables uh, to the people you know, uh, on the road. She's selling people their fruits and vegetables, and I'm sure she's doing a pretty good job because she's standing there and nothing but Daisy Dukes and some sensible clogs. I mean she's got a top on she is wearing a shirt but she's definitely like the town whore like you know this you know this girl is getting ridden ridden like the bike she rides later in the movie <laughs> like but I love her I love her too you know what she barely does anything but I think she's great
0: Well I will tell you that having not seen this film for years and watching it again this time cuz I really I mean I remembered the premise of the film I remembered the kids when they hugged you, you, you melted. I, I, but I did not remember any of the characters who survived, who lived. I mean, that's how long ago it's been since I've seen this. I thought Susie was going to be like the final girl, didn't you? Like the way they introduced her, I thought, oh, here's the cute little, you know, final girl. She kind of looks like, I don't know, that final girl from final exam, um, with the long hair and okay, cute. Okay. And she's getting some of that deputy Dick. I'm kind of jealous of her. Uh, but that's not, that's not the case.
1: Um, no, that's worth noting that this movie doesn't really have a final girl in general. I mean, there's a woman who does survive, but she's definitely not what I would consider in any way, shape or form a final girl. No, would <laughs> If I was
0: her husband, I would have thrown her ass out on the porch and locked the fucking door. especially
1: after what she puts him through at the very end of the movie like on top of everything we're gonna get there but my god this bitch is expecting a lot from this poor man um but yeah i she definitely gave me the vibe i remember when i was watching it i was like "Ooh, okay i think she's stepping up to be a more prominent role uh does not happen but uh you know what? while she is on camera she's delightful as are most of the people in this town
0: yeah, well, as 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 Deputy Harry's trying to get some of that young puss, he, which she definitely is, because her remember her dad like rides by on the tractor and he's like, "I'll be home for dinner," and he's like, goes down the road and and Deputy Harry's like, "Oh, does that mean we're alone now?" And she's like, "Yeah," and he's like, "Oh, so nobody's inside? We're alone?" <laughs> yeah, uh, then it cuts to the sheriff driving down the, the road and he comes across the school bus. Which is kind of parked at an angle, like it just like pulled over haphazardly. It's just, it's parked there uh, very suspiciously. He gets up or he gets out of his sheriff mobile, goes inside the school bus. It's completely empty. There's no driver, there's no children. But all of the children's books and supplies are still on the seats where they left them. I mean, this is unsettling. I mean, I think of it as like an educator, like stumbling up across a school bus that's just on the side of the road, completely empty. That would be that would be quite troubling.
1: Yeah, I absolutely agree. And I think this is um, a a point worth noting that this film, oftentimes it paces itself more like a building mystery than it does... A horror film. I mean, abs- there are absolutely moments of horror in this movie, don't get me wrong. But it-, it takes place all over one night. It's a very slow burn kind of story. And so it it fills a lot of its time with an era of mystery. And I think that really does the film well, especially again, considering the budget, because it- moments where it really lands, where it hits are moments like this, when he, you know, he, he enters the bus, he looks around they show all of the little details—the lunch boxes on the um, on the floor, the hat, the bus driver's hat that was left behind. He finds all, everything like kind of as it was, um, but the gas is still on, you know. And it's these little details, these little moments that they like, kind of start to let the pieces fall together, where you're watching the cast start to realize what's going on. Slowly, it's unfolding. Um, I, I think that's really the strongest element of this movie, to be honest.
0: Yeah, I mean, this movie does a very, I think, very above at average job of, of building tension and suspense and, and lingering on moments that make the viewer uncomfortable. So once the sheriff realizes that this bus is empty and you know, he's looking around, the kids aren't anywhere in sight. I mean, it's a school bus full of children. They're nowhere to be found. So what he, what he does is he decides to drive to the closest house, uh, which is Dr. Gould is her name. And she has this young son, Tommy, who was supposed to get off the bus, but he's not home yet. So he walks up to to this dame, and she's there in her white swimsuit. I mean, what can you say about Dr. Gould except the entire time that she is on screen, she seems to be annoyed as fuck. She does not want to be bothered by by him. She's short. This is a no-nonsense kind of gal. And, And I'm wondering, like, it's. I mean... I'm wondering if it's if there was some like backstory between these two that was maybe cut out or something that explains why she is so like he does. He, all he does is come up to him. He's like, hey, have you seen Tom? And she's like, what are you doing here? And she's like, she slams a door on him when she goes inside. She just seems annoyed as fuck. And I, I, there's no rhyme or reason to why. So I was wondering, I wonder if there was like some love interest, like scorn love lover, love interest gone wrong that was cut from the film that would have explained this? Did you get, did you get that? You know,
1: her character was kind of an enigma to me because for being a very brief presence in the film, they seemed to sure load her with a lot of, of apparent uh, personality and backstory and maybe it was just having a really competent actress in an unusually small role, but like, yeah, they, they really like created this whole kind of energy between her and the sheriff that unfortunately is not explored because she doesn't end up being the first on-camera victim. Um, but then there's even this whole other aspect that's approached where she like, she's, first of all, she's bikini by the poolside. She stomps inside. She marches into this mysterious woman Named named <laughs> Leslie, I believe is her name. Leslie? Yes. I was like it's this it's like this what do I have down? It's like this sickly It's her, Leslie Button is is her name. And and she just feeds her Cody. Uh, is this her lover? <laughs> like who is she Like <laughs> who is this woman? I, I really know. I was I to me, in my mind, I was convinced that these two are lesbian lovers. This is all they're going to give to us. This woman is rough and tough because she's got to make it in a man's world in 1980, uh, living amongst like all these rural folk. She's probably just pissed all the time. She's, this is a storyline I created in my head. She So she's a lesbian doctor, and she's the only doctor in town, and nobody respects her. Much like that other woman that we had um, a few weeks ago. <laughs> when we watch oh the yeah god uh, <laughs> mutant? mutant yeah mutant. same yeah. these two women they deserve to have a fucking cigarette and a break they're so fucking stressed <laughs> well she
0: plants this poor leslie girl in front of in front of her piano this girl's pale she's sickly like she can't even get up and walk and the doctor's like comes in she's like here take five more codeine you'll feel better it's so weird
1: i just wish it was explored more because it's so intriguing to me like there is such potential for story there um sometimes i complain about underdeveloped characters but in this situation i'm explaining i'm I'm complaining about overly developed characters only because like i'm interested i want to know more about these people and they're just not really giving it to us because pretty soon here this girl is about to die
0: (laughs) Well, yeah, so she gets dressed. Well, I love the fact she doesn't even invite the sheriff in. She like slams the door on him and makes him stay outside while this Doverman pincher barks at him the entire time. And I don't, is this Leslie girl blind too? Because she's like, is someone there who's outside? And he like, he's right in front of you, but she acts like she can't see him. Weird, weird. So this gal, Dr. Gould gets dressed in a sensible jean and flannel ensemble. Go figure, right? And she um, hops in the police car and follows him down to the bus. And the, the entire time, Rider, she is just a fucking bitch. She's such a bitch. But I still like her. I, I do, too. Oh, I do, too. She, just, <laughs> she doesn't put up with anything. She,
1: does, she is getting shit done. And she is pissed because this is the one. I bet you this is the one day this woman fucking has to lay poolside in her bikini. <laughs> the one day. And this fucking bumbling fool comes waddling onto her territory. Not today, Billy not today but unfortunately she can't deny the fact that children are apparently missing.
0: Well, she goes on the bus and she finds Tommy's book book his his school book and his lunchbox and he comes out uh she comes out of the bus and you know Sheriff Billy's like is that all he is what, was that all of his the stuff that he brought to school today and she's like well apparently so. He's like okay, well we're going to um you know, we're going to figure out what's going on. So he calls Deputy Harry who's in the barn, making out with fucking hoary, whatever her name, Jenny or what is it, Susie? Susie. It's Susie. Susie making out with Susie. Jenny is a
1: child. Jenny is Jenny a, is a child
0: in this movie. Okay, so Susie's <laughs> making out with Susie, and the deputy is <laughs> like, or the sheriff's like, "Hey, you need to call. You need to get a roadblock up. We're not letting anybody in or out of this town." Uh, and then he's like, "Hey," and you know, this all the while, fucking Susie is kissing on his neck and trying to unbutton his shirt and deputy harry agrees it's like okay so he rushes off without even really saying bye to susie hops in his car in the meantime sheriff asks he asks her like I said, he asks her if she wants a ride home she's like no i'll walk and she's like i just don't know how i'm going to explain that tommy's missing to leslie
1: and the sheriff's like well just don't tell her and she's like well i guess that's one way to handle it Again, with more explanation, this would be all very well handled and interesting. But let me be clear to the the listeners right now. Leslie, we don't see Leslie again until she's discovered dead. She's a corpse. You literally get nothing more from the character of Leslie, the mysterious ill-blind woman playing the piano, (laughs) who has a, a high drama moment. Like, she has one bit of dialogue. It's filled with drama. There's a lot of mystery behind this character. Never see anything from her again until she's dead. oh
0: no, and this isn't even the most interesting couple. We have them coming up here. In oh. a few minutes. Oh.
1: okay, I love those. Oh, uh,
0: so the sheriff hops into his uh cop car and drives off to the uh to the roadblock. Meanwhile, Dr. Gould is walking home when she gets a glimpse of Tommy in the cemetery, just walking. And so, of course, she's like, Tommy, Tommy, and she runs into the cemetery. Uh, and this is when. I mean, I think this is the moment in the film right here when the Friday the 13th score really kicks in and it, it maintains throughout the entire film. I mean, I think if you played this score with Friday, the, with the original Friday the 13th score, I mean, I think they're virtually identical. The only thing that this one is missing is that, but everything else, it has beat for beat. So she runs into the cemetery and and she as she's chasing after Tommy, she trips over the dead body of the bus driver who now is completely how do you okay how do you describe what these bodies look like they're not really burned so to speak it's just like
1: it it, it looks to me like they are exposed to you know, like nuclear radiation which obviously makes sense because of the nuclear power plant but their skin is like literally melting off it, it's like boiling and melting off it looks it's, like pretty
0: disgusting like there's just it's like meaty and bloody pulpy and yeah. and yeah she trips over his body and as she's getting up Tommy comes up behind her before she has any chance to react and gives her a hug he's like mommy and then she proceeds to be burned alive with by his fingernails grouging in her back and we see her Go from, you know, nice looking blonde woman to a <laughs> gooey, drippy corpse.
1: The the visual of Joyce being embraced by Tommy and dissolving uh, into basically it fades from shot into shot of her looking more and more grotesque as the yellow smoke is like billowing from her body. Um, are the effects kind of just okay and a bit absurd at times sure yes that's like that's the case sometimes the effects are a little bit like i said they feel a little dated but is it still highly enjoyable viewing material Absolutely. fucking um i mean like it definitely shows its age in some of these moments but they went there they did a full body like 10th degree burn. Like, I can't even describe how the condition, these poor fucking bodies, like these people die so horribly. They literally are just melted alive as they're screaming. It's so sad. Um, but it, you know what? I, I give this movie so much credit for going there and, and, and trying to do what it does. Cause sometimes it hits really fucking well. Some of the effects do look pretty good, uh, but sometimes they don't.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean it's it's a hit or miss, but the, the 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 image of these melted bodies is pretty is pretty effective, I think. It's it's just it looks very disgusting. Uh so the next stop for the sheriff before he goes onto the roadblock is to the town general store with the owner Molly, this good old gal.
1: This is my girl right here. This dame, she is my favorite character in this fucking movie, shotgun in hand. <laughs>
0: Oh, she's bitching, right away she's bitching about the size of the birds that her two, are these her sons?
1: These two, I couldn't tell if they were incest brothers or gay lovers. They are, like, they're a mystery to me. And they're only in a few moments, and then they disappear and they don't come back, which I do not think is fair. Because you don't introduce two characters that look this similar, with such a strange, like, unexplained relationship, and then not allow them to at least be horribly murdered together or something
0: yeah i couldn't figure out if they were her sons or just like random town folk who sell her chickens or whatever they shot i
1: i think they're supposed to be two like rural rural twin brothers who are trying to sell to her the owner of the like the local market or this little shop these chickens and she's like they're too small and they're trying to like sell it to her so then when the sheriff does come in. He offers them a job is like to fill in as like a, uh, for the day deputies to help the other officer. And he's like, it's $20 a day. And they're like, Oh boy. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. So they, they go on and do it. And you know, the sheriff tells Molly that he found the, that he found the bus and the children were gone and the bus driver was gone. So I, I, the, I think the inference is, is made that the bus driver is Molly's husband, right?
1: Oh yeah. Fred. Absolutely.
0: Because she's like, Fred would never do that. But then I do like that she seems more concerned. <laughs> she seems more concerned that the fact that the bus was let, left running than she does that the children <laughs> have disappeared. She's like, oh, he left that bus running. I can't believe he would do that. Why would that bus be running on the side of the road like that with nobody in it? I can't believe he left that bus running. And the sheriff's like, yeah, but all the kids are missing. And she's like, ah, that bus running. I don't know. That doesn't sound like him at
1: all. I got to say, though, like one of the things I find the most charming about this film is the fact that even though you don't get to see a lot of the characters working together or bonded together before shit hits the fan, you do have, like I kind of mentioned earlier, you have a real sense of community and a sense of relationships. For some reason, every relationship in this town feels so fleshed out. And same with fucking Molly. And her husband, who you you never see them together, but my God, like the concern she has. And like later on is the concern for the children. Everybody's so fucking concerned about the goddamn children. Like, I mean, she's so endearing and charming and, and her, the way she delivers her dialogue. It's always a little bit too big, but she feels so authentic in this role.
0: Well, she's a good, yeah, like I said, she's definitely a Southern, or, I mean, this is supposed to take place in New England, but it seems like everyone is from the South, right?
1: Oh, absolutely. Did you get that impression?
0: Like it's, so it's like the South moved to New England. Okay. So at the same moment, another young gentleman comes into the gas station and this is John. He's coming in for some ether and the sheriff takes him outside to tell him about the missing kid and buses because apparently his daughter, Jenny, right? This is where Jenny comes in, was on the bus and she hasn't been home yet. So he's they're they're out there talking. And of course, John is concerned about what could be going on. We need to, we need to go look for the kids and figure out what's happening. And inside good old Molly's calling on her CB radio. She's trying to call Fred to get him to answer. It's like, Fred, you better answer me this goddamn second. Of course he doesn't because he's laying in the cemetery melted. Okay, Roger. So from the general store, the sheriff continues his little route of, of checking with parents regarding where their children are and if their children have made it home from school. And the next house he goes to is none other than Dee Dee Shore.
1: <laughs> First of all, <laughs> if you and I ever were to get a cameo in a film together, I would want us to play a couple based off of these two because they're living the life I dream of. I don't know who they are. I don't know what brought them to this bungfuck town. I don't know why they're even living amongst these people. But these two are from... A completely different universe, and I'm here for it. I love it. Um, unexpected brief nudity on behalf of one Miss Dede. Her bosoms out, uh, revealed to the sk- to the to the sky as she lays in their backyard by the pool. As as her husband just lifts weights beside her.
0: In a tiny speedo.
1: In a speedo, like just, just fucking for no explanation whatsoever. Like you're really gonna just launch me into this sequence and not give me any backstory at all? That's a lot of nonsense.
0: Yeah, I, I don't know if uh, I was trying to figure out: are they supposed to be like movie? Are they supposed to be like movie stars or what? Because there's a there's yeah. a moment later where this very important guy, Sanford Butler Jones, is his name to be precise, comes to visit them. And he's like, call Didi, sure. She knows who I am. It's just, who are these people? And why, yeah, why are they fucking living in this little godforsaken town full of Southern transplants? I don't understand. But yeah, the the sheriff comes to talk to her to tell her about her child missing, right? And this broad could give two
1: shits (laughs) that her kid is missing. She's like I never rise before 10. <laughs> like and it's it's just so sad the fact that like she's so dismissive of of her daughter. Uh and then like because he's so like put off by them and like the way they're acting and uh, talking about, you know, the the lack of concern they have for the daughter, he does proceed to take her ashtray and ashes it into the swimming pool, which I thought was like a great, like, fuck you moment. And they kind of just look at him in shock as he walks away. I really like that moment.
0: Well, this, yeah, well, the dad, the, the, the buff husband has a few lines that he barely gets out. (laughs) This dude is not, this dude obviously was hired for his physique and not his acting ability. I mean, because he is pretty tough to to listen to
1: but he's sure fucking oiled up <laughs> he's
0: oiled up he has a, you know he's wearing this like what is it it's almost like a little leopard skin speedo yeah nice yeah. body i mean but bo- face you'd have to put a paper bag over but the body is rocking
1: okay? yeah and that's all that we're here for, I guess, is that fucking body. We can brown bag it to go, right? <laughs> and then she's like, she's all excited. She's like,
0: "Oh, we got a kidnapping and Raven's back! How exciting!" And that's when the sheriff's like, "Okay, this crazy bitch. I'm gonna dump your fucking ass tray in the pool because you are uh, too much, lady." Yeah. And then, then he leaves, and we don't get any. We don't get any more from these two. These two stole the show.
1: Yeah. No, yeah. I mean, you, you do come back to their home eventually, but it's certainly not enough um, closure for the moment. I'll say that. I want more from these two because, again, two really eccentric characters that do not get enough time on screen. Uh, but I guess if that's going to be the problem, I guess I'd rather this than they be too boring, right?
0: So John, who we were introduced to at the, at the gas station, he is driving home and he has a piece of shit car. That's kind of his claim to fame around town is his car stalls all the time. So his car is stalled on the side of the road. Uh, we do get a shot though, before his car actually comes into frame, we get a shot of one of the children walking straight down in the middle of the road. When she hears the car coming, she actually jumps into the woods And as John pulls over and gets out of his car to examine what could be wrong, there is, you know, it's intercut with shots of her in the woods watching him. You know, she's grasping onto the tree branches. She's watching and we get to see for the first time her fingernails are black. And she's inching closer and closer and closer to him. When luckily at the same moment, the sheriff pulls up. They get the car started and they're both able to leave before this radioactive child has a the chance to come out on the street and hug them.
1: And let's be clear. This is the level of exposition that we do get towards like what exactly is going on with these children and uh, like how they're operating, what choices they're making. Like w- we really don't know anything about what the fuck actually happened to them. All we know is they were exposed to radiation. Now they really like to kill uh, they seem to be, like, rather aware of their surroundings. They're able to say things. Uh, pretty soon you're going to hear one of them say mommy. Um, but they're able to, like, you know, verbalize their thoughts and so forth if needed. But for the most part, they just wander around in, like, a daze. Um, I'm not exactly sure, like, what like what the defining traits of these children actually are in the sense of, like, what is it that's going on with them? What do they do? How do they do what they do? <laughs> but i'm here for it because it does make at times a very creepy visual and this whole moment of of ellen in the woods watching john does prove to be rather rather suspenseful because she's got this like glazed over gape-mouthed expression as she's watching him and you can tell that she's plotting something um however you know obviously that's foiled when the sheriff does arrive
0: yeah and and then once once the sheriff and john leave she goes back into the woods and she actually finds her house
1: Troy, what the fuck is going on? This woman, <laughs> her mother, again, another character with absolutely no explanation or exposition whatsoever. This character is laying on, like, uh, like she's not like a chaise lounge. Uh, <laughs> and she's... And she is like has like a like a cloth on her head, as though she's having like a like a fever, and she's like going through it. And she's oh god, she's overwhelmed. She's in the middle of something that I feel should have been explained to me prior. Is is what I'm trying to say. This woman's reaction is way too like thorough and involved to not give me an idea of why she's in this current position. But all that happens, she's just laying there going through it, and then she sits up. And uh sees her daughter, and her daughter says, Mommy, and she goes, Alan. <laughs> and they just they embrace. And I gotta say, some scenes in this movie hit, some do not, but my god, this scene <laughs> that follows is honestly spectacular. The smile on this child's face, the glowing expression of sheer just she's thrilled. Joy. Joy. This girl is beaming as she <laughs> Literally chars her mother like a fucking, like shrimp on a Barbie. <laughs> Like until so she's nothing but a blackened husk of a human being, it is <laughs> great. It's so fucking creepy, and the effect is probably one of the best in the film in the terms of like how these bodies look after they're finished. She looks really effective by the end of this when you see her melt down and singe down, and 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 then for the father just to walk in <laughs> and just he doesn't say a thing. He just starts like looking down horrified, and she goes, "Daddy," and you know this fucker gets it too. But uh, I mean, what a what a great sequence! I don't know who these people are. I got no explanations whatsoever. But I fucking love yeah,
0: it. I, well, I like the dad's expression. He comes out and sees the mom. He's like, "Oh, oh!" And he backs away. And she's like, "Daddy." Yeah, she goes into the house after him. So these, it's pretty obvious that the poor, poor man did not make it out of that house alive. Now we get to the roadblock, and this Susie, this Susie is horny. She is just badger and poor harry to kiss her she's like harry kiss me he's like no i can't kiss me harry kiss me he's like no i'm working stop it harry i want to kiss kiss me and then the two guys these the two frump and dump that we saw at the uh general store they're there and they're they're like being very (laughs) inappropriate I mean, they're like, yeah, kiss her, Harry, kiss her, Harry, or we'll do it for you. And she's like, well, if you're not going to kiss me, I'm going home. So she gets on her little bike and she drives off on her bike and the guys are like,
1: I love her on this fucking (laughs) bike. That's one of my favorite visuals from the movie. Well,
0: they're catcalling after her. They're like, ooh, Susie, come back here. And once she's gone, these two fuckers, they're like, hey, have you gotten in her pants yet? Has she at least given you a hand job?" And Harry's like, well, I don't do stuff like that.
1: Oh, like shit, you don't. <laughs> Come on now, Harry. Look in the way he does, I'm sure Oof. he's getting. And those twins know it, and that's why they're like, tell us. Tell us, Harry. Tell us. But the, these two fuckers are so obnoxious, but they're still strangely like intriguing to me. And I do have to acknowledge that like, we get this whole moment with the two of them at this uh, area where they're blocking off the road here. But after all of this wraps up, you don't see these characters again. These are two more that don't come back. And I was like, you know what? If you're at least going to give me such like thought out characters, you at least better fucking kill them.
0: No, they, yeah, you're right. They, they do not make another appearance at all. Um For a film that seems to like, want, like likes to kill off a bunch of people in, in surprisingly, in surprising order, even because like who ends up surviving this film is not who I would have picked right. at all. Right from the opening frame of the film but uh yeah these two just they just i guess they just went back to their cabin in the wood and locked locked themselves in, i don't know drank some moonshine maybe who knows passed out yeah you don't see these fuckers banged again. a
1: goat i don't know um <laughs> but then <laughs> then if we're going to talk about characters that do not get enough like explanation and screen time this mysterious vehicle pulls up and like who the fuck is this homosexual operating this window <laughs> up and down? Every bit of dialogue this guy gives, he has to raise the window and then lower it. But it's Sanford Butler-Jones, <laughs> none other than. <laughs> Who the fuck is Sanford Butler-Jones? <laughs> it's none other than Sanford Butler-Jones and his, and his car phone and his sensible hat.
0: He has a car phone in 1980. Yeah. Every time he speaks, he rolls up the window or he, he says something, he rolls up the window. When Deputy Harry responds, he rolls back down the window to respond. It's, he is quite the, is he supposed to be a pimp?
1: No, I think what it's supposed to be is, I think you kind of said this earlier. I think she is supposed to be an actress. I think she's like a, a high end actress and he is like a, a filmmaker or agent kind of personality. And so it's something that represents her. And so he's. This bitch,
0: she, do, do you know damn well Dee Dee is doing fucking porn if she's doing anything? Yeah. This is not a serious actress. No, no,
1: but she sure thinks she fucking is. <laughs>
0: so the the, uh, the De- deputy Harry's like, no, you can't go through. And he's like, do you know who I am? I'm sent for Butler Jones. He's like, oh, I've never heard of you. He's like, well, you need to call Miss Dee Dee Shore. <laughs> So he literally calls Dee, Dee on his car phone.
1: Yeah, it's it's such a big moment for a character that literally gets no other scenes. Like genuinely, this is the only time we meet this man. He makes such an impression. He enters with a flourish of trumpets and he goes out with a bang only to never be seen again. Well, aside from like one brief moment that is literally like just a a reveal. Um, Again, a character that if you're going to think it out this much we deserve more. Like I deserve more of Sanford Butler Jones. The fact that they deprived me of more Sanford Butler Jones does make me a little bit angry.
0: Well, that he gets to go through, um, DD talks to deputy Harry and deputy Harry's like, well, okay, DD, Dee Dee, I'll let him through. So he lets the drive. he lets, we have to keep in mind that the Sanford Butler Jones has his own personal driver that's driving him around too. He's in the back seat. He's not even driving. So they let him through the roadblock. And as they're driving down to Miss Dee, Dee Shore's house, they encounter Susie on the bike. And Susie is just unbothered. They're honking at her, they're yelling at her to pull to get off the road. Where else
1: is she gonna go on that fucking bike? <laughs> I know, that's like, like I mean, you go around her, you're in the middle of fucking nowhere. I think you're gonna be fine. Like just
0: That's what I'm saying. Why didn't why didn't they just pass her? I have her Don't these place.
1: people know the rules of the road? <laughs>
0: They're laying on the horn and she's just like unbothered, not even trying to move over. And even Sanford Butler Jones, he's like, she acts like she wants to die. And I'm like, no, she acts like she wants to ride her fucking bike home. That's all she's doing. Go around her.
1: Uh, You know what? I love it, though. I love everything that they fucking do in this movie. Every choice people make, even if it makes me angry, I love it because it's so dramatic and over the top. And this whole sequence, like we really needed the sequence of Sanford Butler Jones and his personal driver. Chasing this poor girl down the road, and she's trying to (laughs) deliver apples to people. (laughs) Like that's, she's literally on a mission to deliver apples. Let us also acknowledge that. So during her apple delivery, she shows up at this stunning house. Let me just say, this house is beautiful.
0: Yeah, it's like, like I said, it looks like a southern, like a very southern. It has the wraparound porch? Yeah, it's beautiful. She goes inside. She's trying to deliver apples to Miss Peterson. There's no one to be. No one. No one's home. No one's there. There's like
1: this dog. Troy, this dog startled though. Uh, <laughs> This is the I jumped out of my fucking seat. and I don't know why. It scared the shit yeah. out of me. She's just walking through the kitchen with these goddamn apples, and all of a sudden you hear like a ah, noise, and it's a dog that just shows up out of fucking nowhere, and it made me basically shit my pants. And I can't, like out of all the things to scare me, for that to be it, I'm losing it. <laughs> I'm losing my edge. Right?
0: <laughs> well, she leaves. She's like, "Fuck this." She leaves the apples there, and she just goes back home. Does she? Doesn't she, does she drop them intentionally or does the bag rip? I I don't know. I think she, I think the bag rips and she's like, just fuck it. I'm leaving, whatever. So she goes home, she bikes home. And as she pulls up on her bike, fucking her, her brother, is it Paul? Yeah. Paul knocks her off her bike. Yeah. Like she literally, she knocks, knocks, comes right out and knocks her off her bike. She's like, Paul, quit it. And he, she gets up and he's just coming at her with this sh- fucking evil grit on his face. He's not even saying anything, but his arms are outstretched and he's just coming straight towards her. She's like, Paul, knock it off. And she even like slaps him a couple times. He just keeps following her and she runs into the barn and Paul goes in and all we hear is her blood curling scream. Like as she's being burned alive by her little brother,
1: I do wish that they would have showed us Susie's kill because she felt like a character who has who had gotten too much development at that point to not be shown on screen, (laughs) you know, not have her kill, you know, um, uh, taken away from her, which is basically what happens because you hear the audio, but you don't see anything uh, actually executed. You do see a body reveal, but like, you know, when a few scenes earlier, you had the random woman swooning on the couch get killed and she got a full meltdown. Uh, for then, this girl who's been, you know, at least has been present over the course of the whole film. I did really want to see, if you're going to kill her, I'd want to see what would happen to her. Now, there are enough good kills in this movie that, like, it doesn't feel like a huge, uh, like, it doesn't feel like you're totally being deprived because there are enough other good scenes that balance. But it, I, I really think they missed an opportunity with the build up to the sequence.
0: Well, and you know, it, it shocked me. It shocked me that she
1: died. Like,
0: I mean, it was so quick, so unexpected. And like I said, I, I felt like she was being built up to be, you know, the 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 final girl. But it just wasn't the case because she is killed pretty quickly. And like, yeah, it's off screen. However, we do see like her dad, her, the, their dad walks in the barn. And we see Paul like on top of Susie, like rubbing her with his hands. And she's all like, you know melted and the dad's like Paul what have you done and Paul stands up and says daddy and walks towards the dad and we hear the dad scream and that's that
1: yeah yeah it, it's it's uh, a uh, two back-to-back um, cutaways and it does feel uh, at least in her case it felt really like they um, kind of cheaped out a little bit but it, it's fine I mean moving on moving on to the next there's plenty more good stuff where that came from so Billy
0: drops John off at his house, and you know, Billy, the sheriff. Billy wants to like leave, and John's like, "No, please come in and talk to Kathy. It'll make her feel better, hearing it come from you." So he hesitantly agrees. Uh, John goes in his house. He goes upstairs, and he opens a bedroom door, and this little kid immediately pops out with his hands outstretched for a hug. And I think I thought that was a like a clever little touch to like a little you know, jump scare. Cause you're not quite sure. It, anytime now you see a, ch- a child in this movie, obviously you're going to get you know, some apprehension, but this is a, this is their little son Clark who yeah. is at this point fine. He's not radioactive and he gives his dad a hug and he's like, "Mommy's mad at you. And she's waiting for you in the studio. So they go into this art studio and the mother is there passed out on the couch. She wakes up. He t- tells her, this is Kathy. He tells Kathy that the kids are missing and that the bus was found empty. And she says, uh, I, that can't be. She's like, I passed the, the bus this morning and I waved to it and all the kids were on it. Okay, Keep that in mind because we mentioned that little bug that passed the bus earlier in the film, right?
1: Let it also be known that Kathy is very much pregnant. Um, She's always swooning or lounging, laying. Um, She's very much like Mariah Carey was in the the bulk of her pregnancy, laying across a couch, sleeping. When he comes into the art studio, she's just swooned on a chair. Um, And and everything is a stress for her. It's very hard for her to operate and go about uh, her basic day-to-day functions. Kathy is kind of a pill uh she's kathy is um i don't like hate kathy but i mean i don't like her either she sure gets on my nerves a lot but she also has some of the better dramatic scenes in the film in the sense of like fun moments so i'm not going to completely slam on her but but she's just not great
0: (laughs) no she's my least favorite definitely my least favorite of the of the bunch of characters that we've met in the film she's just kind of a pain in the ass and a nag and she is i I hate when characters are like they they have everything has been like you've seen everything happen but you're still gonna be like oh well we can't do that because they're just children i hate that drives me nuts so back at or molly she she's trying to call the um the sheriff on his CB but he's inside now with with John Kathy and their little child uh, but Harry finally hears the fact that Molly's keeps calling for the sheriff and Harry gets on he's like Molly you know what's up the sheriff's not answering and she's like well Leslie Leslie called crying and hung up the phone so you better go check on her and it's the Leslie that you know apparently Dr. Gould is dating I don't, um so Harry's like sure I'll go out there and check on her so he gets on the, um, on the, in his little cop car and he heads out to the Gould place again.
1: Yeah. I, I love that Leslie has now become um, Dr. Ghoul's sickly wife. Like, really, she is like her ailing lover. It's such a strange like, character setup. I don't know what's supposed to be going on here, but I like it. I, I dig it. I dig it. And I also like this whole thing of Molly being over the radio. Like, it's, it's kind of like her her story arc is that she's always like operating from her little store, but radioing into the sheriff uh, and kind of giving them like up to date news on what's happening. Uh, but again, her personality adds a lot to the mix. I really enjoy her being part of of uh, the growing group of people who are aware of what's happening to the children.
0: Well, as he passes the school bus, we see that it's now parked perfectly straight on the side of the road when earlier it was like parked at an angle. I did notice that Um, continuity. Uh, But they, he goes as he's pulling into the Gould's driveway, the three children are just walking down the middle of the road, (laughs) arms outstretched. And he is just like, he is a knee slapping excited about, he's like, well, God damn, I found the children. So he even radios Molly and he's like, Molly, I found the children. She's like, oh my God, that's so great. You found the children. She is so excited.
1: (laughs) children (laughs) you found the children like everybody the the term children by the way let it say right now listeners that the term children is heard (laughs) roughly 837 times over the course of this film like it is it's used as prominently as you would expect a film entitled The Children would use it. Um, they say it a lot, especially Molly. She is so worried about the children. So anytime you've got her over the radio, it's the children, the children, the children. Um, but uh, And then he proceeds to call himself Harry the Hawk did it again. And I do like that Like when she hears that, she's like, Harry the Hawk. Oh, and she starts like... Sh- drinking straight whiskey <laughs> she's drinking. like what a she's like what a smart ass <laughs> my kind of woman my kind of, well, kind of
0: woman the, yeah so the sheriff and john and kathy have a little brief encounter clark the little clark kid obviously likes the sheriff he wanted to stay up to see the sheriff and the sheriff picks him up hugs him and stuff and you know the sheriff's like i don't know and kathy's like please tell me what's going on and the sheriff's like well no we're not going to tell you right now. The, the whole basis another whole thing with kathy's character is nobody wants to tell her what the fuck's going on. They, like, literally refuse to tell her anything.
1: Which is why, like, she makes some awful choices as the film progresses. But, like, it is also because they, like, completely decide to hide things. Like, and not just, like, once. It happens multiple times where they're, like, don't tell Kathy. She's too stressed. She's pregnant. (laughs) And so, finally, like, when shit does start hitting the fan, she just is like, oh, my God. Like, this is horrible. She reacts really poorly, um, which is understandable, I suppose, when she's in the state of duress that she's in, being pregnant and all. Yeah. So
0: Molly radios the sheriff and actually gets him this time and tells him, hey, Harry found the children out at the ghoul place. Uh, and John hears this. He's like, oh, my God, I'll go with you because, you know, their daughter Jenny's missing. So they head out to the ghoul place. They find Harry's cop car parked on the side of the road. It's still running. The lights are still going. The lights are still on. Sheriff gets out right away and finds Harry's dead body on the side of the road. All melted Um, John rushes out of the cop car to see it and he is like completely perplexed he's like oh my god what could have done that to him and the sheriff's like I don't know but I'm sure the hell gonna find out so they rush to Dr. Gold's house Uh, it's locked up (laughs) there's a moment where like you know John is like we let's just bust it let's just let's just break in and sheriff's like no I can't do that. There, There's that damn dog in there.
1: I got to say, Troy, all of these sequences here with these two together, they're a bit big and they go on for a bit, but I love, love, love these two guys together. And I would never expect it. But, you know, first with the body reveal when they find Harry and they roll him over and they, they give some big fucking reactions, but, it also feels so, like, genuine. Like, it feels like they are really like, oh my god, Jesus Christ, this body is fucking, holy shit. Like, these guys are fucking terrified by this. And it feels strangely like, real like even though it does feel big it still feels very natural um and again this whole sequence going around the house with the dog i love the banter where he's like don't go in there there's a fucking there's a dog like that dog is gonna maul you like it's this weird little bits of banter that you get that feel really like natural like i feel like that's exactly what people would say if they knew that house had like a like a goddamn uh, Doberman inside. And that dog is meant to attack. If it thinks you're breaking in like, yeah, that's exactly how people would react. I really like these little moments.
0: Well, but even, but John tells him, well, I don't even hear the dog barking. So it must not be in there. So let's go in. So they, they break it and they find as they're searching the house, it's all quiet. They go into the living room and they find Leslie's body at the piano. She's dead. Try to use the phone. It's dead. Uh, there's a noise in the closet. So John opens the closet door as the sheriff is standing there pointing a gun and a do- dead dog falls out. But as as it falls out, the sheriff is startled. So he shoots it a couple times. But the poor Doberman has been <laughs> radioactive as well. <laughs>
1: I love this entire fucking sequence. I love uh, the the bit of them creeping through the house because they like walk in, in the kitchen. And the, they did a really good job of making it feel like this environment was very much active just not too long before. Yes. Like the lights are on in the kitchen, but then you walk in the living room and it's all dark. They're like creeping through room to room. And it's just like it's this slow, long, really like – drawn out moment of these men like who feel very legitimately terrified as they're making their way through this empty house. It's, it's a really well handled scene in my opinion.
0: Yeah, there is. Well, I mean, there, it becomes a, a very, um, it becomes a very common now trope for the remainder of the film for these two characters just to be wandering around, um, with sporadic scenes of, action or or discovering a body kind of thrown in. Uh, We'll get there. It comes more prevalent at the end of the film. But I would say if there's anything, anything that I would point to in this film that I would say, okay, I'm not a big fan of that. It's it's the pacing issues at some points in the film. Not this moment. I like this moment a lot. I like the moment when they get to the, um, to Dee Dee Shore's house. It's just kind of the final, I think, 15 minutes or so of the film
1: drag. I hear that. I do. I do. Mm Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, because there's only, there's only so much, like, there's only so much interesting interest a viewer can get from watching characters just wander around. And I'm going to point to a film that we covered a couple episodes ago, or probably now 10 or 15 episodes ago that we talked about that had the same exact issue that this one ends up kind of having, but not to the extreme. And that's the prowler. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, I agree.
0: So they go back after they find Leslie's dead body, they go back to, and they shoot the dead dog. They go back to the general store and bang on the door to get Molly and she's all flustered because they're they're waking her up. She answers the door with a goddamn shotgun in her hand. I love her. (laughs) Yeah. And Sheriff tells Molly that Harry's dead and she's like, oh my Jesus Lord. What about (laughs) the children? (laughs) And Harry's like, listen, listen, Molly, you stay in here and you don't open that door for anyone. And she is being a badass now she's like if anybody tries to get in here I'll blast them to kingdom come and we're like we know you will Molly you get it although she doesn't really hold up her end of the her end of the bargain there now does she poor
1: Troy the children
0: (laughs) (laughs) and now we do cut to and this is what I this is I think what you mentioned earlier we do cut to this sad scene of poor redheaded Sally (laughs) <laughs> waiting outside the diner and it's like 1045.
1: <laughs> oh my god, tears running down her face because he had promised her on that date. But I love that they took the time to just give this character a little piece of closure. Um, I was expecting her to get attacked or something. It didn't happen. Uh, but you know what? I, in a way, I'm happy she made it. She deserved better. Um, <laughs> she has no idea that she has stood up because this man is currently saving the fucking town from killing radioactive children everywhere but yeah i do like that there's this little piece of closure Uh, one thing i want to go back to real quick and it's really minor troy but it's just a note i don't want to overlook because earlier i mentioned that like the children (laughs) the children they're very (laughs) children they're very inconsistent in what like they they can and cannot do and just like a moment ago at the house right before they left um to like kind of uh collect with um molly they acknowledge that the phone lines had been cut. So, like, I'm just curious. Like, are the children cutting phone lines? Do they know? Do they know how to? Are they in a state of mind where they can do that?
0: That's what I was wondering because the phones are out at everyone. Every house they go to, when they try the phone, it's dead. I mean, they did. They try it at the shorehouse. They try it when they get home to John's. John's home. Every, the phones are all dead. So, are the children cutting the phone lines, or is the radioactive activity affecting the? The phone... Re- I don't know. Yeah, I th- I had that exact same note. I'm like, what is with all these phones not working yeah. all of a
1: sudden? But that being said, I really like the moment where they all gather at the shop because you do have the two men and Molly kind of, like, trying to get a grasp of the situation. And this is a moment where I feel everybody seems really, like, even though it's such an absurd storyline and, you know, this is a relatively small-scale film on the great scheme of things, everybody in this sequence is so devoted to the craft. Like, they're all, like just really giving it their all and really like putting their all into the acting. And I feel like in some ways I'm watching like a very like high quality theatrical production, uh, with some really like skilled actors though, like doing some really fun things. Um, I don't know. I really enjoy these moments of, of people like panicking and getting worked up together. It it really, um, builds very nicely. It
0: seems, and it seems like these are real authentic people. And you know, you, you know, you've, You know you've written good characters and that you have directed well and you know you you got some good actors on your hands when they can bring so much quirkiness and layers to their character to the point where like i said there are several characters in this film that i really wanted to know more about you know and it's 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 strictly because of of their personality on screen and and what they were able to deliver in such a short amount of time. Now, this is the moment again, it's kind of a confusing moment for me. Sheriff and John are driving. They come upon Janet. She's walking down the middle of the road. They get out and she doesn't answer or respond to them at all. Like they even grab her. She doesn't do anything. And they put her in the back of the police car and she immediately passes out. So I'm wondering, like, what is her
1: deal? (laughs) I think like what we're seeing is is all the kids have been exposed to you know a form of radiation and they're all just reacting like I think some of them reacted faster than others,
0: well apparently so because this is like 9, now eleven o'clock at night, and she's still not i mean weird I was wondering like is she pretending well like was she like pretending to be. Like heard and, and unable to talk so that they she knew that they would take her back to where everyone was.
1: Then we see that goddamn nail sequence, Tr- Troy, which implies to me that she has not been under really fully under the effect of it. Because something's coming up here soon that uh, that's pretty key to implying that these children are now radioactive monsters. Oh,
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I know that. But I was like, what the word? Why is it? Ta- why did it take Janet so long to be? because
1: I had to penetrate through that thick red sweater she was wearing <laughs> that, that bright red sweater though everything with the Janet character like when they discover and everything I, I, I do like how the sequence unfolds like yes there's like not a clear explanation even as how long it takes for this to affect people it just kind of happens as the movie wants it to but this whole thing of her being in the car as they get back to the house here's another kind of drawn out sequence going through this house coming up but I think it pays off because you, the viewer, know shit's about to hit. And there's a lot of building, swelling tension as this goes on. Um, and now throwing her into the mix and knowing just it's just a matter of time before something happens with her, it, it definitely adds to the building, swelling uh, tension that, that exists within this whole chunk of the movie.
0: Well, yeah, they go to the Shore house, Dee Dee Shore, because Janet is their child. Janet is the child of the shores, the the porn actress and her speedo wearing husband. So they take her home. John goes in the house to look for the parents. And and of course nobody's there. And it's very similar to the last house they were in where they look around lights are on. It looks very much like something interrupted. What was going on? There's still food cooking on the stove. Like lobsters are burning in a, in a giant uh, pot. And so John goes out back and he sees the figure of the husband sitting in a chair by the pool. So he rushes up to him and grabs him. He's like, Hey Jack, you know, or whatever the dad's name is. We got Janet and he touches him and the body immediately falls into the pool. And we see that it's been, obviously he's been murdered by one of these children. And then he just like takes off running and he just runs into the random bodies of people laying around the the shore property.
1: I love that you literally like um, in this sequences, as, as he starts to realize like, Oh fuck people here are dead i need to get the fuck out of here it then literally becomes like one two three four like it's just body after body like they're just scattered everywhere it's so dramatic i love it i love it so much
0: and this is yeah and then in the sheriff the sheriff sitting there waiting in his car with janet in the back seat getting really impatient but janet slowly wakes up and we get a close-up of her fingernails and all of a sudden they just turn black And she proceeds to reach for the sheriff to try to attack him. But he catches her glimpse in the rear mirror and is able to pull away in time. And he he opens his car door and kind of plops out onto the ground as she gets out of the passenger
1: side and kind of and, and, and runs away. This whole nail thing, Troy, let's take a moment to talk about those nails. I mean, a lot of things about this movie have held up. I'm going to say it right now, that nail transition effect that they do. Uh, admirable for the time period. Definitely kind of takes one out of the moment upon seeing it. I get it. They wanted something specific to define these entities as being what they are. I think the nails changing colors, uh, it's a little, it's a a bit um, simplistic. Like it's so minor. It's so minor. If it was that on top of like veins and other things, or I don't know, something more to it. I think I'd really bite into it, but the fact it's just the nails and it's done with that weird, like kind of illustration appearing over the hands. It's not my favorite part of the film. I'll say that.
0: Yeah. I mean, because it really is difficult then to determine like, what are these supposed to be? Are there, are they zombies? Are they, I mean, we know they're affected by the radioactive cloud that they drove through, but nothing else is really explained. Like how, how did the radiate? How did the radiation affect them? Like, what are they? They're not human now, apparently. I, I, it's, it's kind of just left up to, I think, the, the, the viewer to decide what is going on. And yeah, the nail thing is very minor, but I, I will say the nail thing, the black nails, is definitely kind of the, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Like the trademark of this film. I think everyone remembers this film. If you, like I said, if you mention people, oh, it's the, it's the movie with the kids with the black fingernails. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. That one. Uh, I mean, it, so even though it's like a minor like element of the, the, the characters, the children, I think it's, I think it's kind of memorable because it is so simplistic.
1: I get, I get what you're saying with that. Like, and I think I would love to see this movie get like, a, um, get out of the crazies treatment because I feel it falls under a similar kind of, um, uh situation where it's like a movie that's great it's really a great film but it was just limited at the time it was made um and i would really love to see it approached with you know not even necessarily a massive massive budget but just evolved uh effects and uh, and skill sets and abilities and makeup um i would just love to see what they could do because the, the concept works at its core but I, I have a few little gripes and and the nails are one that I would just like to see approached by a, a skilled I don't know I, I think you could I think you could technically do it practically in a way nowadays you could find a way to do that practically not even make it a, like a digital effect you know
0: oh yeah yeah, yeah, you know I get it. This would be a really fun film to I think re reimagine if you don't want to use the word remake, it could be a lot of fun.
1: Yeah. you know what else I would do, Troy, if I revisited this movie to be honest? I'd pack that bus filled with children. Yeah. yeah. Like I want 50 kids. I want a double bus field trip.
0: (laughs) Yeah. I mean, that's another thing is the fact that there's only about eight kids on the, on the bus when it goes through the cloud. So then we're following about eight kids throughout the whole, whole movie that are the villains. I mean, it's could, it would be a lot more, I think frightening if you had more of these hordes of these kids running around,
1: um, I'd make them younger too I'd make them like five or six <laughs> just like how terrifying would that be
0: <laughs> yeah well the sheriff John comes back and the sheriff's like God she she tried to attack me we got to get out of here so they get back in the car and head to John's back at the general store Molly's in there and she hears the children outside saying mommy she calls the sheriff to tell uh, the sheriff oh my god I found the children and this old broad, she is so happy. She old gal goes outside. She's like, oh, it's the children. And the, the three of them are standing there with their arms outstretched. And she rushes to them. And the poor old woman is, is attacked by the children. Now, we don't see her death scene either. We hear it over the radio. Sheriff, The sheriff and John hear her screams over the radio.
1: Yeah, Um. and they don't I mean, they seem affected by it But more affected to get the fuck out of there Than actually go and help her I guess they know at that point There's no turning back Um. But yeah, Molly Deserved a bigger kill However, um, I don't mind this one as much Because the visual of the three kids Looking through the window is quite effective It does make sense that she has no fucking idea What's going on uh, She sure fucking cares about the children So it is sad to see her go um, but I, I do like that they at least incorporate her screams coming through the radio because that's been very prominently her her bit the whole movie. She's always been chatting with them over the radio. So uh, hearing her screams come through in the car, it is, it's an effective little bit.
0: I do like – yeah, and I, I'm glad you mentioned the, the children in the window because as she's approaching – you know, the camera's outside the the, the, the general store. And she's coming to the door and it's a glass door. You see the reflection, the three reflections of the children standing there with their arms outstretched in the glass. And it's really, really unsettling as she's approaching. Back at home, or John's home anyways, pregnant Kathy is just beside herself. So she decides she's going to light up a cigarette and smoke
1: and then she rubs the stomach and she apologizes to the baby and it's like bitch you even know you're fully aware of what you're doing and you're like sorry like this woman is <laughs> difficult she's difficult she doesn't handle stress very well um it's this very brief moment well and then That's all you really get yeah
0: to. no then Jenny their daughter is like lurking around outside the entire time trying to open all the doors and their locks so she can't get
1: in yeah this whole moment where she's like approaching the house and everything is rather uh creepy you know the kids are only so creepy on their own. I'm gonna say this because they're really it's just kids with pale faces, some dark circles around their lip uh, eyes and dark lips, and and then the black nails, and that's really all it is. It's like they're not bloody, they don't look any very, uh, really all that different. Um, but what does make them scary is they're like they're pacing, and the fact they're always kind of just creeping and lurking through the shadows. And they are unlike zombies; they are aware enough to avoid certain things or move out of the way when lights are coming or um, you know, try different doors at one point she even busts in like the storm door trying to break in. Um, so it, it is, again, it's interesting exactly what these things consist of uh, because it constantly seems to be evolving as the film goes on.
0: Well, yeah, it's not very consistent. You're, you're 100% right about that. John gets home. He rushes upstairs to check on his little son, Clark, who's who's in bed sleeping. And then he goes downstairs and Kathy is like, what the hell? What is going on? He's like, you shut up and make me some coffee. He like yells at her uh, and she's like, oh, she gets like this very deflated look on her face. But she goes into the kitchen and makes coffee. And John tells the sheriff, he's like, I can't, I just, I'm, I'm afraid. I'm afraid to tell her anything. I don't know how she'll react. Now, I, I do, this scene is interesting because as they're drinking their coffee, as she's making their coffee, there's a TV playing in the background and we hear a news broadcast about children being missing in several communities around the tri-state area and that the nuclear facility in the tri-state area had to shut down due to a massive pressure drop. So it is a very, like, if you're not listening to what the newscast is saying, you're going to miss this, but it's very much a subtle... Way to let us know that this is happening in other communities as well. It's not just affecting the small town of of Ravensback.
1: This is the point in the film that I feel that George Romero's influence becomes like exceptionally obvious. Uh, once you get them inside the house, it feels very claustrophobic. It feels very Night of the Living Dead. There's a lot of angles that feel very Night of the Living Dead. Shots that feel very Night of the Living Dead, um, and just the overall like growing. Tension amongst the people within the house. And this whole usage of like the news media though subtle and minor, you're, it feels also very Night of the Living Dead because it's like this kind of emergency broadcast. So I really, I mean, that's Night of the Living Dead is my favorite film of all time. I appreciate it. I'm going to be honest. I actually think it's uh, quite a charming little tribute at times because it is very clear that that had some influence on this film. This is a siege film. At the end of the day, it's very much a siege film. These things are surrounding the house, trapping the people inside and trying to find a way to kill them. Um, and And it's quite exciting at times. To be completely honest, like it is actually rather thrilling, which is surprising.
0: Oh, yeah. There's even a few scenes of like the children, uh, their their hands breaking through the glass to try to grab the inhabitants of the house, which is, again, a very, very night of the living dead outside. Kathy's in the kitchen as she's making the coffee, but outside she sees Jenny. Just right outside the porch. So what does she do? She unlocks the door and immediately rushes outside to, to grab Jenny and give her a hug just before the sheriff and John grab her and pull her away. And the, Car- uh, Kathy is not too happy. She's like, what are you doing? That's Jenny. And they're like, get back inside. And they, they refuse to tell her anything. You know, and I think like you said, you, they could have saved a lot of grief if they would have told her what was going on. The two guys, they rush to go look for Jenny and they go um, into the barn that's on property and they find her sitting on the floor. As, they're, as I mean, it's kind of a long drawn out sequence. They're searching the barn or, you know, nothing's there until they get to like the back corner. And then she is there sitting on the ground Indian style. And she looks up and she says, Daddy. And she grabs his hand. And his hand starts to burn. Luckily, he gets away. Um, But Janet, now Janet comes at them. The sheriff shoots her, but she gets up and just keeps coming right at him. So now we realize that, okay, these things cannot be killed by bullets, which kind of ups the stakes, right?
1: Yeah, yeah, there's a, a whole new layer added to these things. Now they can't be killed. What do you do now? They're melting people left and right. Um, There's some surprisingly good handheld in this sequence. Handheld, you know, I feel like you didn't get a whole lot of it back then in the early 80s. Um, And oftentimes when you did, it still was kind of finding its footing and its placement. Uh, But I feel here the handheld in the sequence leading up to the barn is very well placed um, and does very much add to the creep factor. And then the burn on the hand, while it's not necessarily the best makeup effect, and looks a bit dated. Again, it's very gruesome, and they get credit for going there with it. Whenever you see these wounds, you can tell they went all in. They wanted to look as disgusting as possible.
0: Yeah, and there's a consistency, too, to the wounds, how they, how everything looks. So uh, I, I also appreciate the fact that they did not go the route where, like, oh, if you get bit by one of these things or if you get touched by one of them, you're going to turn into them, right? I like that aspect that they did not go there. And in fact, it seems like the only people that can really be affected by whatever this is, that's radioactive cloud is, is children. But I also like the fact that these things don't care whether they're killing adults, children, dogs. I mean, pretty much no one is safe in this film. As we find out here, they go back inside and they get his burnt hand in some ice water. They're yelling at Kathy to get into ice water. So she puts uh, his, he puts his hand in some ice water and there is a, a shot of like outside. Like, as you said, all of the children now are outside in the front yard, like just standing out there, staring at the house. Kathy is freaking out, but nobody will tell her what's going on. So she's like, fuck this. She's going upstairs to check on Clark. So she goes upstairs, checks on the kid and all of a sudden we hear gunshots (laughs) and she rushes to the window and sees that all the children are out in the front yard, but they're being shot by the sheriff. So she's like, what the fuck? So she runs downstairs and she hits him. She grabs a vase and she's like, they're only children. My God. She bashes him in the head.
1: (laughs) It's this sequence. Like, listen, it's it's handled in very dramatic fashion, this whole thing. She swoops in the room. She grabs a plant. She busts it over <laughs> Billy's head. He just drops right to the ground. I thought she killed him at first. Yeah. I was like, are you fucking kidding me? It's a big reaction. Um, And I I get it. She thinks she's seeing him shoot children. But, like, I'm sorry. If I were in her position, pregnant as I may be, and I'm looking out the window and I see all those kids standing there with their arms reached out towards the window like they're fucking going to kill me, um, I would would still be concerned that they're being shot. Let's be clear. However, I would run downstairs and I would say, why are you shooting these children? And why are they acting like that? And I would let somebody at least explain to me what's happening because it's pretty clear that something is awry. Uh, So her reaction to bashing that plant pot over his head does seem a bit big, even with considering the events going on around her.
0: Well, she blatantly sees him shoot the, that one kid like three times, but the kid gets right back up. That would that should have been an indication to her that, okay, this is something is not right with these children. Well, John rushes in the room. He's like, Oh my God, Kathy, what have you done? And he's like, she, he was shooting the children. He was shooting at Jenny. And John is like, well, who do you think did this to my hand? It's all very elevated and dramatic
1: and she's like, no, no, she didn't. And he's like, yeah she's like, if she's if she's not uh, my Jenny, I'm gonna <laughs> kill myself like even though she's pregnant with a child, she does make the at one point make the statement I'm gonna kill myself And this is another moment where some somebody, somebody was clearly watching Night of the Living Dead and was like Judith O'Day's performance as Barbara will be topped <laughs> Like yeah. we're gonna go full crazy with this performance. We are diving in.
0: Oh, here comes this scene with upstairs with Clark in his bedroom and all of a sudden, Paul, the kid, Paul, shows up outside of Clark's window and he sees, Clark sees Paul outside his window just glaring in at him. First of all, how did this kid get up? This, the uh, the little boy's room is on the second floor, right?
1: The kids are scaling windows now. I mean, there is literally, there's a sequence where the kid actually, you see him climb in the fucking side of the house.
0: Oh, you Jesus. see it. But, but he's out there and it's like, it's very much like the kid
1: staring in the window in the Salem's Lot movie. I have the same note, exact same shot. It's the exact same shot.
0: Yeah, but, well, little Clark lets him in opens the window, lets him in. He, he, he proceeds to play hide and seek with him. He thinks it's a game. He like, he'll run under the bed and laugh. And then uh, Paul goes under the bed after him. And they do this like four or five times. Uh, until Kathy hears a commotion upstairs. So she immediately runs upstairs, opens Clark's bedroom door only to find him on the floor, burnt to a crisp.
1: Oh my God. When they fucking killed the kid and like you, You see it coming. I'm going to say it like, you know, this kid is going to get killed. And you're like, there's, there's no way. There's no way they're going to go there. And then there's this whole lead up where he goes and playfully hides in the closet. And what's so cruel about it is like, he thinks it's all a game. So he doesn't even see it coming, you know? And, and it really is sad. Like, it's very sad. And um, yeah, the fact that they went there, I was like, holy shit. Again. Someone watched Night of the Living Dead.
0: You don't see little children being killed off in movies very often, but this one definitely does it. And then Paul comes busting out of the room, arms outstretched. He's going towards Kathy, and she's just helpless. She's like, oh, no, no. So she backs down the stairs, and John shoots him. And he flies off the staircase and lands on the floor, but he gets right back out.
1: Oh, my God. Okay, so everything leading up to this sequence, by the way, is really fucking awesome. I'm just going to say it. Like, yes, they killed the kid and it's shocking, but I mean, effectively so. Good on them. They went there. They did it. They killed the kid. It's effective. It's shocking. So, And then this whole moment of her getting like backed down the staircase and everything, um, though she really is not capable of defending herself, it's still suspenseful, Uh, And it gets way better when he comes in and fucking blasts the child off the stairwell. Like the kid's body goes flying through the air and it's all so amazing. And then all of a sudden there's this fucking shot where like the kid like starts to sit up and reach for Kathy again. And for a split second, his arms are so... (laughs) fucking so long these arms like i get it they're fake arms it comes into play but it is something when you don't know exactly what's coming it for a second you look at these arms you're like what the fuck just happened <laughs> like, why, <laughs> why are this why are these kids arms so long like is this a power and then you find out it's because there's a an arm gag that's about to happen
0: yeah an arm gag that consists of the sheriff grabbing a sword off of the wall rushing in and chopping uh, Paul's hands off before he reaches Kathy and these things when he chops the hands off the the, they make these horrible horrible like animal noises it's like (laughs) and they die so they realize you have to chop these things hands off to die so they do have a weakness and it's their hands
1: it's the lamest weakness though i can possibly think of like i again if maybe if they like went a little deeper with it then i'd be like okay i'm intrigued tell me more maybe if the hands like continued to move after the fact and you saw i don't know like the faculty like tentacles coming out of them i don't know i know i'm expecting a lot from the movie called the children in 1980 but um The hands get cut off and they literally are just like white mannequin hands and they're just like laying there and you're like, oh, okay, this is it. Like there's very little blood.
0: No, there's no (laughs) blood.
1: Yeah, yeah. But I mean, hey, they still go there. They're killing kids. I mean, that's pretty wild. Yeah. Well,
0: Kathy apologizes to uh, the sheriff for hitting him Um, and she's like crying because Clark is dead. She keeps saying, Clark, he's dead. So John goes up there and finds Clark's dead body himself. And of course, has a massive breakdown. The sheriff is downstairs. We gotta cut off their hands. It's their goddamn hands. Stupid Kathy is like, No, you can't hurt Jenny. She's still my daughter, and we don't know if she can be saved. And this is where she says, I'd rather be dead than lose Jenny.
1: While she's having a big, massive catatonic breakdown, Billy is like loading a gun in the window, and all of a sudden, out of fucking nowhere, That little bitch Ellen just appears out of nowhere in like fast forward motion, like reaches through the window and starts grabbing at him. But so before she can start singeing him, he gets her hand trapped in the window. And I do like this moment where it's just the one hand grabbing him. And so uh, John grabs the sword and runs in and manages to, to chop the hand off and she drops to the ground. And they think they've killed her as well. Obviously, they've removed a hand. Now they know what to do. Uh, But this fun little bit with her, you know, her hand being caught in the window does feel, again, very Night of the Living Dead. Uh, But I do really enjoy this sequence.
0: Well, they decide, John and Sheriff decide, we are not, I also like the fact, you know, whereas in Night of the Living Dead, they barricaded themselves in the house, right? They, 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 They were very much trying to, Avoid going outside. Sheriff and John immediately like we're going to go out and hunt these motherfuckers ourselves. Grab an axe. I'll grab the sword. We're going out there. And we're going to cut every one of these little bastards' hands off. So they they go outside and they're they're on the prowl. They are on the hunt
1: for these fuckers. And it goes for a while.
0: <laughs> this yeah, this goes for a long time. It's walking around. They go in the cellar. There's this like five minute ordeal where they're looking in the cellar that literally goes nowhere because they don't find anything. No,
1: but you know what I will say about that moment is at this point, there are only three children remaining. And that is not really that threatening in the great scheme of things. Um, So what they do manage to do is instead of showing like shots of just the three kids at all times, because that would be pretty lame. They they do manage to at least use that basement sequence to feel like it's building up to something very um very ominous. There's like lots of shadows. It's very dark. I was really expecting like a light to go on and like one of the kids just to be there or something. They don't use it to their advantage, but it does feel like as it's building, it does feel effective. It just doesn't really go anywhere. And then after that, they go to a fucking chicken coop, and then and only then after the chicken coop do they notice that the kids are walking towards the um towards the barn.
0: Yeah, the kids are walking in par- in a parallel line towards the barn. The guys see them. There is this like really creepy moment where be- right before they enter the barn, they turn around in unison, like literally the exact same time. They all give a little glance behind them and then turn and go right into the barn. It's like they sense they're being followed. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah.
1: They they display that a few times, too.
0: Yeah. So, of course, John and the sheriff follow him into into the barn and find the children all huddled in the corner of the barn. Of course, Jenny, as as they're getting ready to attack, Jenny is like, Daddy. And she stands up to hug him. And sheriff's like, don't, don't fall for it. And he runs over and chops her hands off. And then we just see the chopping motion. We don't see them really doing anything because it cuts to the exterior of the barn. And we hear those horrible dying noises. Those uh, those noises are disturbing.
1: These noises feel very, I, and I keep saying it, but like th- there are direct parallels with these moments. Very much like uh, Helen's death scene in, again, Night of the Living Dead, where they took the shrieks and they warped it. So it like looped over atop each other. It v- feels v- straight out of that. Straight out of that moment. But it works for what it is. I mean, I get it. They're going to cut away from showing this man massacre three children in front of the camera. I'm not expecting him to show this whole thing. But, I mean, it is heavily implied that they have chopped these children up.
0: Because we cut to the exterior of the barn and we see poor John walk out. And he is just he – looks, he looks very disturbed, very – affected by what just happened which i don't blame him i mean one of these children was his daughter and the sheriff comes out goes into his car to radio for help he gets on the radio is like hey can anybody hear me is anybody out there this is sheriff you know uh, the sheriff of Ravensback. anybody there suddenly fucking ellen pops up from the back seat with her one good hand one good hand grabs the sheriff and proceeds to kill him.
1: Girl, listen, I'ma tell you right now the sheriff overall, he earned his survival. I'm gonna say it right now. If anyone deserved to survive this night of trauma, it's that fucking sheriff Billy. He did all the legwork. All of it. Sure wasn't John. John was just following behind. Um and and, and it I did get upset Upon realizing that this character met his demise, I felt rather um, betrayed by this movie, which is also very Night of the Living Dead when you have the hero meet this horrible fate. And oh, what a horrible fate it is. I mean, it is violent. Uh, So it was very upsetting to see the sheriff uh, fall victim to one of these children.
0: Yeah, and this this is a death that they do show in all of its burned gooey glory. And it is very shocking. It is very jarring. You, you, the sheriff has, like you said, has done everything right. He's the one that figured out what you had to do to kill him. He's done everything right, and for them just to kill him off so, like, suddenly, I mean, it's I, you know, I, I see what they're trying to do. You know, obviously, it's supposed to be, you know, it's supposed to be shocking. I mean, you're, you're, it's the end of the film. You're, you, you want to be left with a few good shocks, right? I just uh, to realize who ended up surviving this film. Yeah.
1: Mm. But I will say it does force John to step up to the plate and take Ellen out.
0: Well, and I do like the the uh the his reaction. He hears the sheriff screaming he runs and he finds the sheriff's dead body there and he is extremely like he is he he is in hysterics, like he's like, Oh my god, and He immediately goes over to Helen or Ellen and starts hacking the shit out of her with the with the sword and the axe and kills her uh, and then goes and proceeds to sit down next to the cop car and cradle the sheriff in his lap.
1: Only until Kathy screams at the top of her lung for her husband. And he has to go into this massive running sequence where he runs all throughout the house. Uh, and the sprinting sequence leads to him finding Kathy on the floor in the bathroom, going into goddamn fucking labor. Like, can this man have no peace? And he, he, he bends down to her and she goes, you have to help me now. As though (laughs) like, give this fucker a break. Did he not just massacre multiple children? He just killed a child in cold blood. Give this man a break. You'll be fine, Kathy. I'm confident. You'll be fine. And then she starts talking about, she's like, you got to boil the water and then sterilize the knives and we're going to be cutting the cords. It's no big deal. She's just, She seems so like sure of the fact that he's going to be able to, you know, cut this baby right out of her. Oh, this woman requires a lot.
0: Well, we, yeah, she's like, get the towels. And so it cuts to the exterior of the house and all, we hear her cry. We hear her yelling in pain as she's
1: delivering. And then we hear a baby crying, right? <laughs> oh, maybe, Troy, give this moment the attention it's due for, for, I would say about three <laughs> minutes. <laughs> we hear the elongated audio of what is Kathy audibly delivering a child. I mean, we hear every gasp, moan, shriek, uh, You hear John beside her urging her on to be like, come on, you got it. And it goes on for a minute as the camera pans all throughout like the property over all the dead bodies of the children <laughs> in every single room and past the sheriff. And like you see all of the aftermath and then. The sun starts to rise and it's supposed to represent, I think, like there's hope in a new day as you hear the baby born and it's crying and everything seems positive and strangely uplifting and okay, which feels very out of place considering everything that just transpired. Yeah, well,
0: we after after that three minute birthing ordeal that we were forced to listen to, we finally go back into the room and we see that she has delivered this little baby. And John, and she's so happy. She's just smiling. And she totally forgot that her other two kids have been brutally murdered. But she has this oh new... Oh, my kid. God. They have
1: such hope in their eyes. Yes. They like They're, like, looking lovingly at each other as though, like, you know, everyone else they know in their town didn't just die horrible deaths around them.
0: Yeah. Well, it doesn't last long because the little baby is breastfeeding, right?
1: And all of a
0: sudden, John is watching. And then his eyes go saucer wide and we're like, what the fuck? So we the camera slowly pans over to see this little baby breastfeeding on fucking Kathy's big old titty hanging on to it
1: and guess what? It's black nails. Fingernails
0: are black. Dun dun dun
1: and the Which does hark back to the scene at the beginning of the movie where that little red bug drove through that yellow smoke before the school bus, implying that Kathy did inhale this toxin, which apparently only affects children, I'm assuming, and birthed one of these nuclear babies. I mean, that's a good twist.
0: It is a good twist. I I, I really like that fact that they, they were able to tie that whole – What seemed like a very corny, innocent, you know, woman passing a school bus because she was impatient and didn't want to wait. It it turns into the the very last shot definitely is a connection to that because, yes, apparently the smoke does not affect adults, right? It only affects children. So it would make sense then that her she didn't get affected, but the baby did. Uh, And the film ends.
1: The film ends on that note. Morbid
0: morbid, you know, you're left just you're left trying to figure out like I mean, it's pretty much your own. what's gonna happen is though is I mean, are all these mutant children or radioactive children gonna start taking over, killing all the adults? who who else is gonna be able to figure out that you have to cut their hands off? It's all all these questions. but what's I mean, it's an hour and a half. It goes by pretty damn quick. uh you are introduced to some amazingly quirky characters. Uh, lots of creepy, creepy scenes. I mean, just the concept of a child hugging you resulting in your death is pretty disturbing. I think that this film definitely hits more than it misses. Uh, I will even forgive some of the lagging pacing at the end of the film because there's so much that comes before it that is just a blast to watch
1: yeah this this film really took me by surprise and i was not anticipating enjoying it as much as i did and sure um i have my gripes with it as i would with i think most films of this era at least of this budget um if you're going to try to go this big on that limited of a budget there's going to be certain shortcomings and i don't mind looking past it if overall if the vision is there and i definitely think the vision is there with this film like they knew the story they were trying to tell. They knew how they wanted to tell it. They knew how they wanted to pace it and not necessarily be everyone's cup of tea, but it is consistent beginning to end. Uh, And they give you quite a large head count. Like overall, like a lot of people die. You may not see every single one on camera. When you do see it on camera, it's often quite uh, fantastic. Uh, But overall, there's quite a large head count. A lot of small characters that really don't get a ton of attention but do end up winding up dead. Uh, which I certainly appreciate. So, um, yeah, I mean, I'm rather pleased with this film. I really had a good time watching it. I I know a lot of people I want to recommend it to. um, And and anyone who's a fan of like Horde or Mob or Invasion kind of style films, I think this is uh, of a similar kind of, Breed a town that's under siege. I I love that kind of setup, so this served really well with that purpose. uh, And I did very much enjoy this viewing.
0: I'm really glad you did. I figured you would, I figured this film had enough quirkiness to it that you would enjoy it. Um, and you know, I I know. The pacing is a lot faster than some of these other films that we've watched. So I figured you would definitely have a blast with it. It's one that I wanted to revisit for a long time because I do. Re- I mean, I have certain scenes that I remember as a child, mainly all of the scenes of the children hugging the their parents and the parents being, you know, burned to death. But it was a great joy to go back and rewatch this film and, and discover it as an adult now and looking at all of the, the, the layers and the nuances that the film has and how honestly, how much of how well of a made of a film it is, you know, despite its budget. So I think it's one of the more unique films to come out of that time period. And if you're a horror fan and you haven't seen it, I definitely say, check it out. I think you will have a
1: lot of fun with it. Check it out. Indeed. Absolutely.
0: Yeah. So that was the children, 1980, uh, guys, as we mentioned, um, there probably will not be a, or there won't be a, a new episode next week as I move and get settled. However, the following week we will return with what is Roger's pick that if you were on our Patreon, you already know what it is, but I'm super excited about this one as well. You want to reveal it real quick?
1: Yeah, you know, I wanted to make a selection for Pride Month that had a queer character uh, involved in some way, shape or form. Um, and I'm, I'm going to be honest, when I first picked this movie, I just picked it because I wanted to do it. But then thinking about it, I was like, wow, this actually offers a really awesome lesbian character who feels very, very authentic to the story. Um, and so I think it's actually a surprisingly good like, sleeper choice for Pride Month in general because this is a pivotal character so my selection is the um i'm gonna just say it phenomenal 2014 found footage horror film uh the taking of deborah logan um i'm gonna let some of you all know right now that i am a huge fan of this movie and so i'm gonna be very excited to talk about it i don't know troy's stance i'm not gonna spoil it for for you listeners on on his behalf Um, But uh, this is one I'm going into with a lot of excitement. So just know that I'm going to know my shit with the taking of Deborah Logan.
0: Well, we wouldn't expect any less. And I will reserve my comments on the film for the episode to leave you in suspense. So... Guys, we'll get to that in two weeks. So like I said, next week, be on the lookout for a, we'll release something that we posted on our Patreon. So maybe you, well, th- th- that way you'll get an idea of what we're doing over on Patreon. Maybe, maybe that will make you uh, want to check out more of our Patreon episodes. And, you know, because we would truly appreciate it, you know, throw us some extra support. Uh, we have lots of great stuff on the Patreon. I think you'd be surprised at the quality of the stuff we put out there. Uh, if you don't want to do that, then hey, remember Apple Podcast five star review. Write us a little review or just hit the five stars and hit submit. But other than that, guys, next time I talk to you, I will be in Las Vegas.
1: Woohoo! Troy will officially be waking up in Vegas. Oh my God, I can't wait for you. I'm so excited. Oh, right. So it shall be an exciting
0: month. So, guys, we will see you in two weeks. Hopefully not a full two weeks. We'll try to get the episode recorded as soon as I can, but I know I'm going to be out of commission for most of, of next week. So we will get it out as soon as we can. But in the meantime, check out uh, some of our older episodes. If you're, if you're if you're so inclined, if you haven't listened to them yet, and we will talk to you soon. Good night.
1: Good night. Everybody. <laughs>